Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that's coming home. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. Are you excited, Steve? I'm as excited as I can get for sports ball, yeah. And people wonder why we are out of touch with ordinary people. I mean, like, I happily admit, like, I am out of touch. I, I don't pretend to be in touch with, with, with anything, so... That's true. I suppose it's better than perhaps, I mean, let's say hypothetically having no interest in football whatsoever and then wearing your England top over your shirt and tie. And uh, taking photographs of yourself dodgily holding an England flag in said top and tie and and everything in the most contrived and false way uh, possible. Whilst also plastering the home of the Prime Minister with England flags, forgetting that one of the biggest issues we face as a nation at the moment is rising tide of Scottish independence. Whilst also making a a statement uh, to uh, ministers and cabinet members uh, that they are not in fact allowed to utter the words, it's coming home, for fear that they might in fact jinx the outcome of the Euros. And the the fact that actually we can't even talk about a bank holiday because that would be jinxing it, which is why... Obviously, I'm going to predict that England are going to lose tonight, but then you knew that already, already listeners, because I've confidently predicted we'd lose against Germany and Ukraine. To be fair, it is Italy. They are, like, one of the best football teams going. Oh, yeah. England are definitely going to lose. That's fine. I genuinely, actually... And just as the country is divided between... If you've been on Twitter recently, Steve, it's divided between Tory MPs who are refusing to watch England. Well, Lee Anderson has been very, very entertaining who's been boycotting England because they're taking the knee because apparently that's Marxist now or something. Um, Friedrich Engels, you remember, big fan of taking the knee in working class Salford in the 1860s, um, who said that he's going to spend his Sunday following the game on his phone instead at, whilst packing shelves, which is hilarious on a number of levels, partly because at least he's owning his stupidity. But also, it's Sunday. It's, a, it's an 8 o'clock kickoff on Sunday. No one surely unpacks shelves on a Sunday. No, he's clearly going to be watching the match. He just can't say that publicly because of his own initial idiocy where he just assumed we were going to crash and burn earlier on in the tournament. We're not managed by Roy Hodgson anymore. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So here you go, football references. Some of us can, can do them. Um, meanwhile, you've also got people on the other side who, again, w- w- one shouldn't really not pick FBPE Twitter, but there was the person who said that if England won, it would be a bit like Germ- Nazi Germany hosting the 1936 Olympics. So they're going to cheer on Italy, famously a country... That's not at all fascist in its history at all. Famously. Oh, boy. <laughs> so just... And here's a clunky segue, listeners, for those who like them. And hello, Patrick, by the way. Just as, cu- just as country... Just as the UK... Just as Euro 2020 is dividing communities in the UK... Countries across the world are find themselves increasingly divided by the pandemic. There's an interesting Pew Research poll that looks at that with polling across 12 or 13 different countries. And as the UK begins to embark on a weird social experiment of removing all, sort, all forms of coronavirus restrictions despite rising cases, let's have a look at some theories about why societies are becoming more divided because of COVID.
So what we're going to, I suppose, do, Steve, is we'll we'll rattle through some theories from G Zero. So Ian Bremer from G Zero Media puts out a daily newsletter. Um, when I saw these different theories about why countries are becoming more polarized, and this is true sort of across the world. So there is a poll again. Pew Research do, does these polls occasionally, looking at lots of different countries, and it found about sixty odd percent of people think that their countries become more divided since the pandemic. So let's have a think about some of those reasons and what they are. So first theory that's put forward is that essentially polarization is a product of fear. People who have an understandable fear of death from uh, the virus and so are quite keen for restrictions to be put in place. But then you've also got on the other side, you've got the fear of the government restricting people's freedoms in lockdowns and what have you. And actually you're, you're seeing that properly play out at the moment with the UK government's announcement, haven't you? In, in effect, there are two core groupings of uh, public opinion when it when it comes to the, the end of of, of, of lockdown and, and restrictions on uh, related to coronavirus. Group one is your Lawrence Foxes, your Nigel Farages, the the people who who are absolutely outraged that any liberty has been curtailed at all in the name of public health. Um, and group two is the rest of us. When it comes to the restrictions, group one wants uh, everything ending last win- last Wednesday. Um, group two, actually, broadly speaking, are more in favour of delaying the, um, the 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 end of restrictions um, to for for about another month or so. So you basically have these two fears that are basically at loggerheads uh, in terms of the discourse uh, at the very at the very least if not necessarily in terms of actual views held by the majority of of, of society no and that that's the key point isn't it is that actually although in those two groups in terms of libertarians who want to get rid of all restrictions and those in society who want to keep them actually what most polling has found is that the British public has been more pro-lockdown for most of the pandemic than the government policy has been. And actually, there's still a good majority of people who would still carry on wearing masks on public transport or, say, when they're out shopping. Uh, and in fact, some interesting polling for the economists suggesting that something like a quarter of people think that all nightclubs should just be closed down indefinitely and something like 30% of people think that they should be a 10 o'clock curfew forever. Is, is there even a 10 o'clock curfew now, technically? Like, I wasn't even aware of that restriction, if it's a thing. No, I, that was very much a September-October lockdown stage of the of the pandemic. Okay, but yeah, it, it is fascinating. And it just kind of goes, goes to show the theory that there's probably about 20 potentially even more uh, percent of the population that will be in favour of pretty much anything. For me, what I thought from when I saw that polling is that essentially there is a certain section that the, the British public is seems to be quite authoritarian. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- this was something we talked about years and years ago uh, on, on the podcast was there like a discussion of that, almost like a a, a progressive authoritarian, not, not progressive uh, well, in, in the, the cultural sense, progress, progressive in terms of taxation and large state, um, a progressive authoritarian party would do very, very well in in in, in Britain based on previous polling. And in many ways, it's, it's it's a miracle we haven't been more authoritarian than than than, than, than we are for so long. <laughs> oh well, this is cheery already, isn't it? I'll tell you what's coming home, Steve. My despair. Um, it never left. <laughs> no, that is that is also true. One of the other then theories put forward about why 
the pandemic has seen an increase in polarisation is it's put ordinary people under a huge amount of pressure. There's been some interesting polling actually on friendships, hasn't there, that's been come out with through the pandemic of people not really having, say, close friends they could turn to, or maybe I get the impression anecdotally it's friends having different ideas of what coronavirus risk entails has put a strain on a lot of friendships, regardless of the fact that actually it's been hard to maintain friendships when you've not been able to see people for a year. The, this particular point is something that's very much coming to the forefront now as we get to the thing where, you know, you know we're, we're, we're recording this together in the bunker rather than our own separate wings as we have been for for so, so, so very, very long now. And, and it wouldn't necessarily have been unreasonable for either of us to say, you know what, we, we still need to do this online because there's there's still a risk cases are on the up you know i'm i'm, I'm double vaccinated now you've had your your, your first jab I, I took a lateral flow test today yeah so you know everything is, is is fine and dandy on our end but equally like if one of us had turned around and said no let's just do this online neither of us would have batted an eye at uh, an eye at it but as we get to the point where more and more people are going to want to kind of get back more towards normality, strains on friendships probably are going to come about in some capacity because people are, do have different levels of risk aversion. Like I've had some various conversations with some of my friends for some of the thing to, to you know, maybe kickstarting some of the things that we used to do um, before the pandemic hit, um, you know, actually doing them face to face again. And, you know, some of us are more gung ho than others. Um, and uh, as, as, as a result, we can't, we're not going to be doing those things again because we, we want everybody to be there or we need or we need everybody to be there. And therefore, it, it's affecting it. And you can easily see how that becomes a becomes a strain if you just kind of go, oh, for God's sakes, like everybody's va va vaccinated now. You don't need to worry about it. Like if you're not as understanding a person, you could see how that could be a, be a problem problematic. And that's before you even get into the, uh, the potential... Uh, of, of just having to deal with a friend or family uh, a family member who is you know anti-vax or, or or anything like that which is the other kind of like elephant in the room in regards to, to relationships the elephants noticeably anti-vax than other kinds of mammals uh yes 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 they are hmm. i'm guessing this element is also massively exacerbated by the UK government's approach to this and just to fold in one of the other things which is actually people fear each other more the example given from the G0 newsletter is you know, is the person in the supermarket going to give me COVID out without wearing a mask um, does the person who's wearing a mask have contempt for the pe person who's not say in supermarkets wearing a mask I mean I, I on Thursday when we went to the cinema for the first time since uh, February last year I think it was um, so last year we saw Parasite, this year we saw Nomadland, so it seems that we're just going to see one film a year, just watch the best picture Oscar, and that's our only cinema trip, so very discerning cinema going <laughs> in the 2020s so far. I was going to say this is the exact opposite to me, who, who my current plan to go to the cinema is so I can go watch the new Space Jam film. I'm sure it's an art house classic, but you Sweet. should too, that's one way of putting it. Oh, fun fact I saw today is that Michael Jordan earned more from Nike last year. Than he did, than he earned in the whole of his playing career. That does not surprise me at all. It's a, it's, it surprised me. I, that, I thought it was a good fact. Oh no, it is. Um, it is. It is a good. It is a very good fact. But it's just one of those things where, like, Jordans as trainers are like just like in the US at the very least are like just yeah, they, they're huge. Well, then surely they wouldn't fit everyone. It needs to be one round make clown shoes. So, but the, the the point was that went to the the cinema and oh, this is great and. and 
everyone, you know, seemed to be wearing masks apart from we were in the fr front row. <laughs> the only person was I couldn't see wearing a mask was the man literally sat on my right <laughs> at the front of the cinema. Obviously, if, if it was an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, I would definitely have accosted the man. Because <laughs> it's, it's one of those where you never, again, you, you need to make sure that you are kind to people who might be exempt from wearing masks for a few reasons. But that the gentleman in question was holding a mask, which was slightly frustrating because you think, well, you obviously can wear one then. <laughs> You're just holding it. And that felt like it, emblemat it was emblematic of a lot of the issues that we're going to have is if you've got a government which is saying it's personal choice, then what one person sees as acceptable is not acceptable to, to someone else. Absolutely. It's... it's, it's conflict between strangers it's conflict between friends as you say in, in a proper pressure cooker environment where there has been massive uncertainty and massive impact on businesses and jobs as well yeah uh, obscure local birmingham reference for us to, to to make in relation to this as well um in that um, every year in birmingham there's the uk games expo this year it is happening but this week they put out an announcement basically saying yeah we're not going to enforce masks for for visitors um, because the government has are cha is changing the mandate. And uh, as a result of that, you've got the UK Games Expo left in a very interesting position where people like myself, who who probably would have gone or, or might have gone, are definitely not going now um, because, because of that fact. And it's not just me. It's like I've seen a number of my friends who are, again, very much a part of the community that would be going to this now saying we ain't touching this with a 10-foot pole now because it and which in turn then leads to problems within like it's, it's like a little micro micro example of this in that you know you know this is the major event um within this within like the board game and tabletop gaming sector like people going to these things they buy stuff they support smaller companies and and and, and, and all of those sorts of things and individual like creators um, now those people are, may very well end up with a smaller audience overall and no protection from themselves for just doing their job because they need to be there but they're now being told that people don't have to wear masks which means they're more at risk uh, which you know it's just an absolute uh, cluster woolus all the way through and to be fair I think businesses and organizers of events like that are in a bit of a no-win situation here mm -hmm. and it's what is very striking about what the UK government is doing is it feels like they're making exactly the same errors in judgment that they've been making since the pandemic and we're seeing it now for the fourth time and what this feels like an example of is essentially the government just shirking responsibility so we saw it before the first lockdown where the government was refusing to say that football the games had to stop when places like Italy had stopped football matches or saying that pubs and restaurants had to shut um, and instead almost trying to make their own decisions. I find it really strange it's happening again where the government is essentially leaving it to businesses because equally if the UK Games Expo had said we are going to make people wear masks well how are you going to enforce that? Again we're talking this kind of like in a for this specific event but that problem is not is going to be for every business that and especially within like you know the hospitality um, and kind of like events sector it's going to be a massive problem and i think the other thing that that highlights is so you're saying you're not going to go to the games expo i talked about the cinema trip the reason why we decided to go to the cinema this week 
rather than wait until July is because we'd rather go for cinema where we know there's going to be social distancing in place. We know that there is going to be I mean, we're already seeing kind of levels of anecdotally it feels like levels of mask wearing are dropping since the government's announcement. But we know at least it's going to be some level of mask wearing and mask enforcement in place. Well, after the 19th of July, who knows what that's going to look like? And this, again, is something that before the first lockdown, I've been reading Failures of State, which is very, very good. And it's been very weird reading it in the week where the government's made all these announcements because you do see the, the thing repeating. And there were UK epidemiologists who were modelled uh, whose models were saying, well, actually, people were already starting to work from home in February, March. People are already starting to not go to restaurants and not go out in February, March because people were scared to go out. And obviously, that's got a big knock-on effect in terms of jobs in the economy. And you wonder if something similar is going to happen in July and August as well, where people are ex- expecting, you know, Sajid Javid, or to give him his proper title, the Secretary of State for Health. <laughs> Sorry, you curveballed me. <laughs> there you go. It's the bait and switch, listeners. It's the oldest trick in the book. So, so Saj came out and said we should expect a hundred thousand deaths. A day. Uh, we should expect a hundred thousand cases a day. Well, that the, the fact that they're, they're talking about cases on that level, I think, implies that you've got to have lots of people who are afraid of catching. COVID are very afraid of long COVID, which is something we still don't really understand. And so you can see that there might be these big impacts on hospitality industry, which, let's face it, have had enough of a battering over 18 months. Are having are seeing regulations go again, you know, they've they put all this secure, all COVID secure things in place, like making sure you've got track and trace, make, getting rid of the table service, and now being told they don't need it anymore. I find it completely baffling. Like you talked about how this is the same errors and judgment that the government's made, like, what's this, the fourth time now? Um, but it, it really does come, like, it, it's possible to learn and, and do things differently um, if you make a mistake. But the problem is, like, this, these aren't mistakes, these are different, these are prioritizations. Um, and with Hancock, uh, well, Matt Hancock being uh, uh, unceremoniously removed from the cabinet as a result of his um, affair and, and breaching of um, COVID uh, guidelines and restrictions, Javid's back in back into cabinet, and he's very much of the Rishi Sunak school of put the economy first, which means the balance of power in cabinet has shifted because mm. um, for all of Matt Hancock's flaws. Actually, in a lot of things, from from what we've seen, he was more sensible on on COVID than than like the likes of Sunak. So, an adversary to Sunak has now been re- replaced with an ally to Sunak, which means now suddenly we're going full speed ahead um, without any real plan to, to 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 deal with it, other than to try and hide the results and and the impact by you know by deliberately making lateral flow tests cost money now rather than making them free, resulting in, you know, more people or fewer people actually doing it because it will cost them money. Well, and, and that very much links into two of the other reasons put forward by G Zero for the, um, the, the pandemic polarising society. So the, I think, charging for lateral flow tests is a very good example of the, the sharpening of social... It's a very good example of that kind of sharpening of social tensions because it's dividing the haves from the have-nots. So in terms of charging for lateral protests, that presumably is going to have a, a bigger impact on... If you charge, less people are going to do it. The people who are 
earning less are presumably less likely to then order lateral flow tests. But we know that those among a lot of professions which are not very which are not as well paid, like care workers, security guards, supermarket workers, tend to be those who were more at risk from the pandemic anyway. Um, so that's something that's going to massively exacerbate. The other example is that where you've got countries like America and Brazil who have quite polarising, or certainly for most of the pandemic in America, have quite polarising leaders, that polarisation seems to have been reflected into the government's response to COVID. What's interesting actually from the Pew Research poll is in the 12 or 13 main economies that are polled, all across the board, so Japan, South Korea, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, what have you, the approval ratings for their government on how they government handled coronavirus all fell, apart from in the UK, where the approval rating for the government went up. Yeah, and like we had a bit of a discussion of this um, like before we were recording, and I think the only kind of thing that we came up with as a, a potential explanation for this is that so much of the British kind of like view of the pandemic is is being done in comparison uh, to the EU because we're viewing everything through that Brexit lens, uh, and because the EU screwed up their their, their, their vaccination program, suddenly we're looking at, uh, at what we've do, what we've achieved, even though it's got nothing to do with the government and the government. This this is the one area of pandemic response which they didn't touch we've looked at the vaccination program success and gone yeah actually we're, we're happy with what the government's done on this partly that that vaccine rollout and definitely is tracking changes from sort of start of 2020 the autumn of 2020 and then the start of 2021 and so you think about where we were sort of october november 2020 when that was when the government that trust in the government's handling of coronavirus was at an all-time low because that is when We'd had Eat Out to help out. We'd had all of Rishi Sunak's terrible, terrible calls, massive increase in infections, call for circuit breaker lockdown, which Boris Johnson poo-pooed and then brought in far too late. That was when it was a record low uh, approval rating. So in that sense, it's partly maybe a dead cat bounce. And I think it's also, as you say, partly the vaccine rollout, which certainly in the spring was going better in the EU countries. And it's interesting now they're starting to catch up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I almost feel like if you were to do this another, do this exact same poll in like another month or two, um, you'd probably see a very different picture for the for the UK because like the UK is the only European country where we've got cases significantly on the rise. Because as you say, we're running a social experiment in epidemiology. For entirely ideological reasons and this is the odd thing isn't well i say it's odd because it's entirely predictable you've got a public which actually is happy continuing with say mask wearing it's one of those things where okay we need to learn how to live with coronavirus what does that look like but then part of learning to live with it surely involves some form but as chris witty has said in some of these press conferences it involves wearing masks where you need to be in close proximity inside with people. So maybe when you're wandering through a pub or a restaurant, when you're taking public transport, you make the other person uncomfortable if you're not wearing a mask. Um, I think of the three times he's given, which is, is fair enough. But actually, so you have a situation where Boris Johnson, again, he's got a majority of 80. There is no reason why that he could take on his backbenchers. And Tory backbenchers, we know already, they are 
that kind of weird sort of libertarian let it all hang out he could very easily take them on he'd have the public on his side but won't and i suppose presumably that's because goldwater rule applying here but partly boris johnson's a bit of a gambler he's also a bit of a sort of that knee-jerk libertarianism uh, and you know if, if johnson wasn't prime minister he would definitely be on the side of getting rid of lockdown restrictions if only because it would make better copy for the telegraph 100 and as you say the balance of power in the cabinet has now shifted because hancock is out and the sash is in and maybe one reason why tory mps are so convinced in their view that lockdown is that mask wearing is somehow some massive affront to liberty despite the fact it's just basic common sense is one of the other reasons why they, they talk about this polarization becoming worse is because the filter built bubble problem got worse so that essentially people are turn, are tuning into cable news channels or websites or newspapers that are lot or podcasts even that align with their partisan loyalties like you're doing listener and actually covid's maybe intensified that trend which i i sort of i see um but i thought actually that consumption of certainly mainstream online news like the bbc and sky had gone up since the pandemic so i wasn't quite sure about this one but what it does give us an opportunity to talk about steve is gb news so much of gb news is raison d'etre uh, as it was kind of like pitched was essentially like uh, an alternative place where you where you know the actual issues of the day would be discussed you know people would be allowed to like voice opinions and on all of these different things um it's not gone very well for them though they had one good night um when it first launched and then it's like crashed and burned because uh well one turns out actually most people don't want to inv engage with culture war type issues because you know most people don't even know it's there's a culture war happening and two the production value is crap and it looks really amateurish which has genuinely surprised me how how bad it's 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 appearing but the result of that is that um like the concern with gb news was that it would be like a a, a british fox news and that it would start to spread you know that that kind that that, that very much that tory backbench libertarian anti-woke quote-unquote uh form of kind of like right-wing thinking um to the general public in in some capacity that's not the case because no one's watching it and it's very much looks like the only people who are watching it are the ones who already hold those sorts of views it's a very good example of people who try and say that they are on the side of the people who use that as cover to espouse minority views that actually no one really agrees with i mean and let's face it this is part of the right-wing playbook since the barry goldwater days so in that sense it's it's not new the fact they've gone to lockdown conspiracy theories so soon is significant and interesting and it is a very good reason not being able to take them seriously and i suppose the other thing is yeah it's this weird which is something that's probably worth us doing a podcast on at some point, but this weird weaponization of woke and people who try and make it an issue when it really isn't an issue. Yeah, we've seen that recently with um, Frank Luntz, the uh, American pollster, basically put out what basically the polling community online just tore uh, a poll which they just tore apart because they just thought it was absolute rubbish. 
where he was basically saying, oh, no, actually, people are really concerned about about wokeism or, or whatever. And it's just like, no, no, they're not. Like, they're really, really not. You had to manipulate your poll effectively to, to get that response. So, yeah, I mean, that, that whole set of polling is very weird. There's, it's, um, there's some interesting stuff in it, but it's the media coverage of the polling is more interesting because it's definitely being spun a particular way. A, a wider question, which isn't really one for this episode, is we can't really talk about wokeism because it's not a thing. Yeah. It, I suppose it's like the new political correctness, isn't it? As I say, the, this is part of the the playbook of those on the right to try and make ideologically extreme ideas quite mainstream and acceptable. Certainly the attack on woke scene feels like that attack on political correctness in the 1980s as well. And that using that term, which started off being about essentially being nice and tolerant to people and turning that into something which is seen as quite dangerous. In terms of that that media coverage, I suppose, leads us into one of the final things that they talk about, which is that the pandemic sharpened conflicting attitudes about experts. Some scientists becoming a, a, a crucial source of potentially life-saving daily information, but other people have seen sort of the mixed message on mask wearing, where here it took quite a while for mask wearing to become instituted yeah, I mean, that wasn't just a, a UK thing. That was uh, the case all over the world. And was essentially, as far as I can I can tell, a, a bit of a white lie that was basically given at the beginning of the uh, pandemic um, to prevent um, shortages of masks of, of all varieties for, for people on the front lines, effectively. It, whilst, yes, we didn't have any scientific proof that masks helped, it was common sense, given we knew, given what we knew about the transmission of COVID nineteen, that masks would help. Uh, and uh, but despite that, people like governments didn't necessarily lean into yes, you should wear a mask as a means to prevent you know spread immediately because, and I can't necessarily fault governments <laughs> from from doing this because they didn't want to end up in a situation where they just couldn't get any, and they were struggling to put to purchase you know um, suitable masks anyway um and so mate like take take of that what you will people will have different opinions on on on, you know should that white lie have been made but like it certainly feeds into that notion of you know experts because because what i've what i've what i've seen online is an awful lot of the people who are you know very much of the we've had enough of experts brigade um will kind of utilize those sorts of uh, lines uh, of attack against you know against the members of Sage against you know um, different uh, the, the, the restrictions and things like that basically claiming that they don't know what they're talking about because mistakes were made in the past or, or whatever that instance just seems more of uh, more fuel to the fire to the argument that the government's claim that they were following the science is just untrue I mean the I, the, the final thought is that. One thing that the Pew research suggests is that those who think that the country, those who genuinely believe that the country's got more divided since the pandemic, they tend to be those who are more, they tend to be those who are more pessimistic economically. They tend to think that um, the pandemic's been, had a, a massive hit on the economy and they tend to be very economically anxious about the future. And so I think actually, I think you're going to see this, polarization deepen partly because we have a government as we said is sort of fueling division um almost almost embracing it i mean that, that's the thing with libertarianism as a public health issue 
is it's only going to exacerbate that. But you're also, I think, going to see a big economic hit as well. Uh, we're seeing the furlough scheme winding down. Um, Reductions in universal credit uh, are, are being mooted as well because the additional £20 was viewed as only temporary, despite the fact that it's still necessary in order to actually keep people you know, functioning and above the poverty line. Well, again, just in Birmingham, that if that is gotten rid of, that would remove, I think, the best part of £150 million from the Birmingham economy. And, and, and that is taken from some of the poorest families in some of the most deprived areas in the country. It's disgusting. Wow, look at that, ending on righteousness. It's a change from despair. Yeah, well, England haven't lost yet. This is true. If you want to hear more despair, you could pay for us to despair on Patreon, couldn't you, couldn't you Steve? That's one hell of a marketing ploy. If you want to listen to us be despairing, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne. Uh, where we will produce for you for the some uh, for the princely sum of a few pounds every month uh, some despair-filled additional content in the form of podcasts, blogs, roundtables. All of these wonderful little things can be can be uh, be de- be done and can help you reach the levels of nihilism that Corey achieves by merely waking up. Actually, I'm not quite sure we can guarantee that. That 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 that, that is true. Put an asterisk next to that uh, uh, and, and some terms and conditions at the bottom and, and we're good to go from a marketing perspective. Despair guaranteed or your money back. <laughs> Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram composed. No, he didn't. James Cram designed our logo. I can't believe I've got it wrong. Finally, in five years. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Fucky Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. Happy plotting.